Due to COVID-19, this podcast was recorded remotely and may contain adult language and themes. Hello and welcome to TV DNA Peaky Blinders Season 6, Episode 3, Gold! My name's Adam Hemming and I'm here with my co-host, he's kicking the crate, it's Damien Cooper. I read only pornography and politics. <laughs> and she dresses well, it's Grace Chapman. Hi, hi everyone. What do we think of gold? Any first thoughts? Some bits I was a little bit disappointed by, but all in all, I thought it was a good episode. Lots of fun stuff, lots of nice characters coming back. Obviously, always good to see Esme. And then we finally found out who Stephen Graham was. Yeah, I really, I really enjoyed this episode. For me, it had what a lot of the previous episode was missing, like, you know, back to back family time. And that's what I really, really enjoy. And it felt like it had more of the kind of heart and the grit and the pain, had all of that running through it. And it felt to me a lot like there was like a presence of Aunt Pole through the whole thing. I don't know why I just kept thinking about her quite a lot as I was watching it. But yeah, I really, really enjoyed it. I actually think as well, it had some of the best writing or had some of the best lines that we've had this series. And therefore, I think some of the best performances individually that we've had. So, yeah, I really enjoyed it. There has been some utterly joyful dialogue in this season as a whole, I think, so far. Again, maybe that's the delay in this going into production due to COVID. Maybe that just afforded them a bit more time to refine the script that bit. Damien, you sounded a bit disappointed at finding out who Stephen Graham was. A little bit. But do you know what? He was bloody brilliant. I don't want to jump ahead, but that scene between him and Arthur, my God, my God, loved it. He really can just do no wrong, can he really? He just commands a scene. You just can't take your eyes off him. I was, as soon as I heard the Liverpudlian accents, I did audibly shout, Stephen Graham! (laughs) Yeah, when the sign came up saying Liverpool docks, I was like, oh, this is going to be Stephen Graham now. (laughs) Definitely. But let's get to Mr. Graham in good order. Let's start at the top of the episode where we find out that Ruby has consumption. Tommy's convinced she's got a gypsy curse on her, but the doctors are all saying it's consumption. And there's kind of this battle between science and superstition throughout, I think, in a way. He says she wouldn't let me pass as if there was to be another consequence. So we get the call back, don't we, to that first 10 seconds of the series when he says that to Paul into the air or was it his mother I can't remember who he says it to he really believes that almost he's brought this on and someone's cursed his family because of him I thought that was quite a powerful scene and I really like loved seeing Tommy so like he wouldn't let his daughter go into the arms of these doctors it was just it was quite it was really yeah I enjoyed it Yeah, we had another wonderful line when he's apologising to the doctors and the nurses and the hospital staff having kicked off. And he says he's just a horse in a crate, kicking the crate. We get the crate line coming back later on in the episode as well, I think. I feel like this Tommy has been through a good year and a half of therapy. His (laughs) self-awareness is significantly improved. But yeah, no, I really like that line too. His self-awareness maybe, but not his mental state. (laughs) (laughs) No. And wasn't it interesting to see them come in, come into the sanatorium and everyone's wearing face masks? A <laughs> little bit triggering that, little bit that triggering. That was. <laughs> now, of course, is that because it's consumption, right? They're worried about it being contagious and it being airborne. There was something that happened between Lizzie and Tommy outside where they go twos on a fag. 
which I thought was interesting. Sorry, for our American listeners, they shared a cigarette. And I thought that's really interesting because we saw it later on that Ada shared her cigarette also with Lizzie. And I wondered if this is contagious, what is to be done with this consumption? You were tracking the disease there, Damo. Well, we've all had practice now, haven't we? (laughs) So Tommy gets an x-ray to see what's inside. Wait till you see. God knows what's inside. Quite intense for the x-rayers, I think. (laughs) (laughs) It's like, well, we don't need God to tell us. We'll find out when we get the results of the x-ray through. (laughs) He's not a believer of science, though, is he? No, I don't. I don't think he is. Well, he's. I don't know whether it's just that he's totally convinced that this is his fault and this curse is is why this has happened. I mean, he obsesses over it throughout this whole episode. I think. But we learn that that gold salts can be used to cure the lung. She's got a collapsed lung, isn't she? Or she's she's got tuberculosis in one of her lungs. They're going to collapse the lung to see if it will then reflate and and heal itself. And if that doesn't work, then they use the the gold salts, which will cause some pain and agony for Ruby, but may fix the problem. With quite a low success rate. Having done about a seven and a half second Google on this, I believe they still use gold salts for arthritis. There you go. That's as far as I went. I'd never heard of them before this episode, so... Anyway, Tommy promises to strike a bargain to make it go away. And then again, someone points out that he should be wearing a mask. And I wish I'd thought of this during COVID. But he just turns around and says, I am. Oh, yeah. (laughs) I mean, if you were on the sort of top deck of a London bus and you just turn around saying, I am. I mean, that's going to freak some people out, isn't it? (laughs) I know, with a cold, dead look in my eyes. (laughs) (laughs) Next time. Yeah, next time. So we jump across then, we uh, we find out that Ada's looking after stuff in London. So for five days, she's going to be Tommy Shelby effectively and deal with all of the issues that he's unable to handle because he's off on his mission to strike a bargain. And we get Diana Mitford watching her approach and commenting on her fashion, on her dress sense. And she bemoans, oh, Thomas, where the devil are you? I thought that was an interesting turn of phrase. I loved Ada coming back. I mean, she was only out of the fold for like half an episode, but I loved her coming back to sort of reluctantly do do what she does best. I mean, he literally just told her about Ruby and then put the, like she said one line to him, we didn't hear, and he put the phone down. So I think it speaks to the Shelby family of like, ultimately family comes first and you just drop everything if you have to. So yeah, I was happy to see her come back. She's she smashed it. Yeah, I thought she was fantastic in this episode. And all you know, throughout it, there are people trying to knock her down, calling her the sister, or not letting her into Tommy's office. And you know, she smacks them all back with grace and style and wit. Uh, we get a short section of Tommy finding a little gypsy bundle on his car journey. A little sign that Esme has left for him to. <laughs> to is that a technical term, a gypsy bundle? I didn't know what else to call it. it sounds like something that happens in a in a playground. Where everyone just jumps on top of each other. It was a little. What was it? It was some sort of grass all wrapped up in a red ribbon. <laughs> a gypsy bundle. Episode title as well. <laughs> I don't know why it's such a funny phrase. And then we come back to Ada and Diana. A bit of banter between the two of them, kind of covering the poor Guinness genetics. And then Diana's got this Egyptian vase that she's popped out. And I kind of wrote down, oh, she's done her homework, much like Tommy used to do. And of course, that will 
comes out during the conversation later on. I think that's quite fascinating going forward because Oswald does his homework as well. He's fastidious in his information gathering and so is the Lady Mitford. They're kind of being set up to be quite considerable foes for Tommy to overcome. I'm, I mean, I'm not convinced by our cousins from across the pond who, who join them later as to how much of a real threat they'll be. Initially, I wasn't a fan of the barbs being traded between Ada and the Lady Mitford. I felt that dialogue was a little bit stilted, not necessarily as a choice, but as not great text. But as it went on, my God, it was mesmeric. As we've already said, Ada was totally in charge from start to end. Yeah, I thought it was interesting about the... The chat about the horse, again, Tommy and horses. Diana said that Tommy made an impact on her and that he's the man on the horse on the vase and that represents impending death. A little bit of foreshadowing maybe for later on. Did anyone see if the figure had a red right hand? (laughs) They covered a lot in a short space of time, didn't they? But I, yeah, I think you're right. Like, I think she was trying to kind of outsmart Ada or kind of intimidate Ada a little bit with, you know, shocking sexual claims and Egyptian dynasties. And Ada was like, please give me a break. I've seen it all before and then some. So I really like that power play. I also just really loved the line. Tell me, why is Tommy so emotionally mutilated? (laughs) Such a great read of Tommy. I mean, she just needs to watch the first five seasons of the Peaky Blinders to find that out, really, doesn't she? There's also a line about the the great cleansing and the fact that Diana promises Ada that they will spare the gypsies. Very nice of her. Should we carry on with the Ada in London story before we go to the back Mm -hmm. back to Tommy and and Esme? Because Oswald joins them in a later scene and, you know, we get all these references of the sister and then she puts them in their place. And then Jack and Gina arrive. Jack Nelson and Gina turn up. And Jack has this comment about the Shelbys all being witches that speak with the dead. I also loved TV's driest air kiss between Ada and Gina. There was about a mile of air between those two women in that kiss. I really enjoyed that a lot too. I wrote that down. No love lost at all. But Adam, when you were said that they speak to the dead, I loved Ada's line of, my husband died, but of course we speak often. Yeah, it was comedy gold. I I laughed out loud at that moment. I thought, yeah, just perfect. Ada had another absolute cracker of uh, response as well. I can't remember who it was. I think it was, was it Uncle Jack that said, what does the Shelby Limited Company do? And immediately Ada says, whatever the fuck it wants. Top stuff. How are we feeling about Uncle Jack? because he's just so unintimidating. He's just lounging back on the sofa. He he doesn't command, like, obviously I loved the women just totally commanding the room in that scene. Loved that. But I don't know. I just, every time he comes in, I'm like, oh, all right then. He's also here. He's quite the charmer. I mean, he, he dismisses Diana as being amphetamines and emeralds. He shuts Oswald up with men bore me. I think both of those came shortly after the Shelby's a Real Witches line. So he's not really around to make friends, it seems. Yeah, he also said, was it the confidence of upper class women or something like that? I love that line as well. Just like, shut up, not interested. Your bullshit games don't affect me at all. You have no power here. The Shelby is the one I need to speak to. Loved it. I think the line was, it is amazing what upper class English women can do with skin, bones and arrogance. (laughs) 
I felt like he had an impact in that room. And we've seen kind of Oswald being this sinister, nasty guy and Diana Mitford, certainly in that last episode last week, being pretty horrible and vile to Lizzie. So I did enjoy them being put in their place a little bit in this episode. And I felt like just by being fairly obnoxious that Jack was was quite entertaining and um, and, and, and potentially a, a significant figure. It's just, you know, we've had, the, you know... Um, we can't really call them the villains of the series, but the sort of antagonists of the series. We've had, you know, Tom Hardy, we've had Adrian Brody, like real kind of really dark, kind of really deep characters. And then there's just this, this guy is just, I don't know, he's just falling real flat for me. Maybe he's like a coiled spring and he's going to just do something. I hope so. Well, we find out that his brother and sister died of consumption. So he's bemoaning the fact that Tommy isn't there. And Ada explains and points out why he perhaps ought to be sympathetic to that. And then she passes on Tommy's invite to his house to meet the Irish and determine the fate of Europe. Casual dinner party. So whatevs. I mean, if you were to play that dream dinner party, right, would you pick the leaders of the IRA, Oswald Mosley, one of the Mitford sisters, and some Boston gangsters? Every time, Damien. Every single time. And David Atom, of course. <laughs> Just something else I wanted to say about Ada that I thought that what she was wearing in that scene when she took the phone call in the office was phenomenal i'm not sure about the dead animal over her shoulder but other than that what an outfit i'm assuming that was originally meant for pole and has been you know repurposed for ada but my goodness me what yeah. a fit big shout out to the gray pantsuit and the dead wolf big big fan it's like maybe i'll wear that to my next client meeting <laughs> I mean, that's, that is pure Shelby women boss wear. It was so good. And she wore it so brilliantly. Yeah, I wrote that down too. Loved it. It wasn't, it didn't make my notes, I'm afraid. But um, two out of three is not bad. So we next see Ada at the office. And we mentioned earlier that she has a bit of trouble with uh, some officious secretary saying she can't get into Tommy's office, but she gets in there. And then we have a conversation with Isaiah, which I thought was quite interesting. Very flirty. He's, he's very sure of himself. She's not quite so sure of him. But we discover that Arthur has the yamps. And when he has the yamps, he gets locked in the cash safe. Now, have we seen Isaiah before? I recognise him, but I could be wrong. Yeah, so he came up with Finn, right? Yes, he did indeed, yeah. And he's uh, Jeremiah's son, I think. Yeah. Finn was, was going to sort out different pubs and stuff. Isaiah was kind of with him in that, perhaps season three or four. Also, Adam, I thought of you in this scene. Another mention of a bucket. What unexpected motif of the series. I can't remember the details, but as soon as someone said the word bucket, I was like, Adam's going to love that. <laughs> Yeah, it definitely seems to be a thing with Ada. I, I, hope, I hope they're not hinting that she's going to kick the bucket at some mm. point this season. It turns out Arthur's been clean for 10 days and she checks Tommy's diary. And I couldn't really see it or read it. Like, there was definitely a black star, I thought, in the diary. Maybe the name Hayden Stagg was there then. But Ada's a little bit disappointed that she, maybe disappointed is the wrong word, but it, she feels negatively towards what she's now got to do. And it turns out that he's been stealing from the opium warehouse in Liverpool and she's going to send Isaiah along with Arthur 
to sort it out. But she doesn't want them to kill him. She just wants a message to be sent. So I wonder whether that black star meant, you know, this this chap's got to die on this day. Yeah, I reckon so. I mean, there's a lot of black things in this, aren't there? Black cats, black dogs. So I'm guessing a black star probably means something negative. In Well, I mean, very rare does anything mean anything positive in the world of the Peaky Blinders. Or isn't the idea that they put the black star on the envelope that they're delivering to the person? Was that it? Like it's a sign? I think you might be right. I was going to say that he, uh, Isaiah asks, doesn't he, is there a black star in the envelope? And she says no. And that's when they have the conversation about him not being killed. But it was definitely there on the diary when she was looking at what she needed to do that day. I also felt like Isaiah was doing that thing where, you know, he senses a woman's flirting with him. He's like, oh, I've got a girlfriend. Oh, I've got to get a present. My girlfriend? Did I mention I had a girlfriend? Ada's like, give a shit, mate. <laughs> so you think she was the one doing the hunting? Well, I think he thought she was, because she's so bloody cool. There was a flirty element for sure that he kept mentioning his girlfriend. Yeah, she tells him he's got to deal with Hayden Stagg and keep Arthur clean. And if he can manage all of that, then maybe she'll think more favourably of him. Mm. So he brings his cousins in. And I think it's Arthur who says, big time boys don't ask for permission. I also loved how they all appeared individually from like behind the pillar in the office, like were introduced. It was a great little moment. I think also how small and fragile did Arthur look? That felt like he was fronting it out, but he was intimidated. And that all that then was, was him just trying to front it out until we meet Hayden. Yeah, he's definitely not at the peak of his powers, Arthur Shelby, is he? He's, you know, gone through it all a bit. Oh, I was just going to say the mad dog's got a bit of a gammy leg. <laughs> <laughs> but we get to Liverpool Docks, and uh, this, I thought this was a really fascinating scene, this scene between Arthur and, and Stephen Graham's character, Hayden Stack. Right, he, he fronts up to Arthur, doesn't he? And it feels like he sees what Arthur's going through. He's got, he's got the line, look at me as the man you can be. What did you make of this scene? Yeah, I mean, it was a, it took an unexpected turn. I, what I got is that he's a recovering addict and he can spot an addict as soon as he sees one. But yeah, the monologue sort of bringing Arthur down from his anger. I mean, it just, it, is he going to be Arthur's sponsor? Is this the, is this the arc we're going to get? Well, the other thing that was quite curious is that he mentioned about being a veteran as well. And of course, Isaiah and his cousins didn't serve they were too young I wonder how much of that Hayden was using to push more of a, a division between Arthur and his lackeys at that time when Isaiah was shouting come on let's hit him hit him hit him and Arthur was as trying to control the situation I think I don't know really I wonder how altruistic Hayden Stagg is does he see Arthur as the weak point and will he be able to manipulate Arthur and try and become the main man of the Liverpool docks, which is no mean thing. I, I think I was on the similar lines to Grace in that I felt like he was going through all of these things that wouldn't work for Arthur. He was saying things like, don't count the days, that doesn't work. You know, he was really making it clear that he'd been where Arthur was and that, you know, he was out the other side. So I wondered whether he was trying to help Arthur or whether Tommy had sent Arthur up there to meet this guy and have that that relationship of, yeah, sponsor, sponsee. Hayden Stagg is the man who was selling the opium on the sly, right? So that's a bit of a contradiction. 
Yeah, but he couched it in that he wasn't selling it. People were taking it and he wasn't stopping them, but people were taking it for personal use. They weren't trying to sell it wholesale into Liverpool and beyond. So I think that's how he framed that. Yeah, I think I think he can't be everything that he currently seems because we've got Stephen Graham. So hopefully they'll give him a bit more than just being like a kind of altruistic sponsor. I'd hopefully, I'm sure we're going to uncover many layers to Hayden Stagg and I'm excited about it. Yeah, I'm curious as to whether he's going to be on the, on the side of the Shelbys or you know whether he's going to be recruited for a purpose by Tommy at some point. We've only got three more episodes to find out, haven't we? So we're definitely going to see him again. Let's look forward to that. Let's jump back to Tommy then. So he finds Esme in what seems like a quarry in the mountains. He's gone up to the mountains, hasn't he? I honestly thought it was like the Birmingham Grand Canyon. Like, where, where were they? Where, like, where is that? No idea. No, no geographers in the room? Fine. <laughs> I mean, yeah, there were no other. I mean, I can't. Scaffold Pike, that. Oh, yes. No. Why it, not? It was, it was pretty bereft of any significant landmarks, I'd say. But yeah, we were definitely in the middle of nowhere. Tommy's in a hurry to get things done, get things sorted, gets rid of her, her, her protectors and they go for a conversation. And he quickly realises that it wasn't her doing. It was a waste of time going to see her and that she didn't know anything about it. And then he tries to get back in his car. It doesn't work because she's pinched the spark plug and she says she does know something. Again, a really lovely line. Someone dead, someone grieving, a lot of hate against you. My only question is, when did she get that spark plug? Well, presumably it was one of the chaps, while she was off chatting to Tommy, it was one of the chaps who went in and got the spark plug and then palmed it over to her. I guess so, but we didn't see the palming. That's the that's my issue. Maybe it was gypsy I, magic. Yeah, I loved the line, the horse pulls the wagon, the dog keeps me safe and the cat keeps me warm at night about why she doesn't need a man. It's a lot of pet food though. <laughs> So Tommy and Esme go off on this little um, journey. Esme's leading the way, telling them where to go. And they can only go so far by car. Then they've got to go by horse. And then they've got to go by walk. Go by walk. <laughs> they've got to go by foot. I was quite impressed by Tommy fashioning a bridle from a rope. I thought that was quite clever. And he points out that if Esme's wasting his time, he's going to use it to hang her. Always a charmer. And then we get to the gypsy graveyard. And again, this is use of the, the crate line. I think it was uh, something like lost his mind a long time ago. He only uses the crate it came in, harking back to the beginning of the episode. And then it talks about this sapphire. Do you remember the sapphire? Yeah, man, the cursed Russian sapphire. Amazing callback. That was so cool. Because wasn't this what caused Grace to be shot? I need reminding about the Russian sapphire. So the short version of it is in season three, was it? Tommy got drawn in with some Russians, some Russian aristocrats in the UK, and they wanted him to fulfill a service for them, and they would pay him with a giant sapphire. But it turns out the sapphire was cursed. And then did Grace wear it, and then she died? But then how did the sapphire get from Grace to this mother of this dead girl? I remember the scene quite clearly. I can't remember why Tommy is going there, but he's off somewhere to deal with something. And there's uh, some different gypsy tribes. There's the Barwells. They mention the Barwells, the Lees and the Barwells being wild tribes, don't they? I think he either used it for payment or he gave it to them. That then is believed to be in the cause of the death of a seven-year-old girl, Connie Barwell. Evadne Barwell, who was the woman who took the sapphire, is believed to be the one who's put the curse on Tommy. 
Thanks for that, guys. Thanks for tracking that through for me. I, I knew it was important, but I couldn't remember why. We had Tommy asking for whiskey, and then he goes a little bit, well, he whips up the grave marking. I mean, he whips up the, the grave and promises to build like a Nelson's column to this girl in Trafalgar Square. He, yeah, he goes a bit mad in that moment, I think. He doesn't know what to do next. Like, he, he went there thinking Ezra was going to be the curse. He could get, he could sort it out. That didn't work. Got to the grave and now he's got to find this whole other woman. I think he was just at his absolute wit's end at that point. Yeah, desperation has set in massively. And then Esme asks for gold to help find Evadne Barwell. Again, so the title of the episode comes back into play. And then shortly after that, we get the end of the episode where Lizzie tells us that sadly, Ruby has died and Tommy wasn't there. This final scene gave me shivers for sure, because I really wasn't expecting her to die. I don't know. There was a bit of, there was sort of a plan, wasn't there? There was going to be the gold salts and there was going to be find this woman and one of them was going to work, surely. And then that she just had died. It was quite quite shocking. I just really didn't expect it. And I also just want to give a really big shout out to Natasha O'Keefe, who plays Lizzie. I thought she was brilliant in this episode. And that final scene, a great performance this episode from her. Real gut punch, that bit at the end. Because like you, I thought there'll be some chance or some trick. He'll somehow keep the demons at bay for now. I'm huge. And I guess what does that do? For Tommy now, is it a case of, well, fuck it, uh, there's literally nothing left for me to live for now? Yeah, I mean, his mental state, we've talked about throughout this series so far, has not been in a good place. And I'm really anxious about what this is going to do to Tommy now going forward into these final three episodes. His sort of dream for this series was that, you know, he was going to do this final job and then him, Lizzie, Ruby and his son will go to America and they'll have a quiet life. That was the plan. And that dream now has just fallen apart. Are we really going to go back to him trying to do the opium thing? That feels like, I guess we will, but... Do we think Tommy's going to survive this season? I know there is this movie that's supposed to be happening afterwards, but there's a lot of talk about Tommy being a dead man, people wanting him dead. Yeah, do you think he's going to survive? I mean, the film, right? That's the only only thing. Otherwise, I'd say he can't possibly survive this series. But, you know, he's got to take the fascists down. That's the focus now, right? The one thing he can do now for the for his daughter's memory is to try and stop fascism from taking over Europe. I guess that's the closest thing he has to a raison d'etre now. Yeah. I mean, I, I just keep thinking about how he saved those six bullets in the first episode that were taken out of his gun and he saved them. I keep thinking about that. I'm wondering if he doesn't survive that, you know, they could be quite clever and do the movie as the sort of next generation of the Peakies. And then that could go on and on and on, you know, maybe the killing off Tommy opens it up for like a a bigger story in a way of that kind of like the Zayas crew coming up. But I don't know, it's not looking good. I think like you, Damien, if it wasn't for the movie, I'd be pretty certain he wasn't going to survive. I didn't see Ruby's death coming. I know uh, when we read the synopsis for this episode last week, I think somebody said, oh, that's that's Ruby done then. <laughs> I was like, no, they won't kill Ruby off. But it was, yeah, it was a really shocking end to the episode and, and can't wait for next week to see what's going to come. Should we have a little look at the blurb for next week's episode, which is called Sapphire? Tommy establishes a connection between crime and political power that could alter the course of history. He also received life-changing news from an unexpected source. Hmm. HP source? (laughs) 
read the HP source like the tea leaves. I certainly wouldn't expect HP source on my table. But he is a member of the House of Parliament, though. Well, that's true. Very true. There you go. So maybe it's too expected, that source. <laughs> Let's park Peaky Blinders till next week. Yeah, can't wait. Really looking forward to that. So what else have you been watching? I've been watching Somebody Somewhere. And this is getting a little bit of hype at the moment. My sister was the person who put me onto this. So it's essentially, it's a new... They call it a dramedy, so a drama comedy on Sky starring Bridget Everett, who's an American comedian. She's been in quite a few different things, but this is her sort of first lead role. So she plays this woman called Sam, who has returned to her hometown in Kansas, and we meet her about six months after her sister's died. Um, And when I found that out, I was like, oh, it's going to be about grief and losing your sister. Actually, that's, at the moment, I'm three episodes in, and it's barely really been touched on. Anyway, she's sort of quite lost in life. And then she finds this this community of people who gather to sing and perform to help them manage their own struggles, guys. I think they call it a coming of middle age story, but I'm really, really enjoying it. It's great. Not a lot happens, but that's okay. It's quite gentle, has a very similar feel to Shit's Creek. So if anyone has enjoyed Shit's Creek, this is going to be right up your alley. It's a lot about family, a lot about friendship. And a lot about being sort of accepted and loved for who you are. And it's funny and it's quirky. So, yeah, I'm really enjoying it. She's brilliant in it. She's such a great performer. So I definitely recommend it. The Guardian gave it four stars. So don't just take my word for it. It's really gentle and it's calm and it's kind. And it's kind of perfect sort of antidote to the world right now. So I I definitely give it a watch. How far into it are you, Grace? I've seen three episodes and they're only about, yeah, they're only about half an hour long tops. It's just a great study of uh, kind of a woman looking for some purpose in life. And and she's brilliant, Bridget, because she's so watchable and she's so funny. There's proper laugh out loud moments and quite a bit of like visual comedy. Yeah. And she's got this gorgeous friendship with this guy that she meets, this gay guy who runs this choir where they all kind of express themselves yeah, I'm really, really, really enjoying it. So yeah, give that a thumbs up. I heard good things from other people as well. So I'm definitely going to pop it on my list. So that's Somebody Somewhere on Sky or Now TV. And it's available now, I think. Is the whole season available? Yeah, yeah, I think so. Yeah. How about you, Demo? Can watch you much? Yeah, I've been getting right into the latest series of The Last Kingdom, based on Bernard Cornwell's books. I'm just over halfway through the series. It's on Netflix, 10 episodes, about, oh, I think about 50 minutes each. Really good. Alexander Drayman as Uhtred. He's still fantastic. I haven't seen him in anything else, but he is a very good looking man and very charismatic, incredibly watchable. And I think actually a pretty good actor without being too showy. So I'm enjoying that. Lots of other great people in the cast as well. My only issue is that everyone seems to be called Ethel something. There seems to have not been so many options for names for the uh, Anglo-Saxons, whereas the Danes have a lot more interesting names. Ethel always makes me think of Little Willies. That's an East Ender reference that, Grace, you're probably far too young for. But Damien, I thought you might pick up on. One of the original characters in East Enders was an old lady called Ethel. And she had a little pug dog that was called Willie. So she would always be worrying about her little Willie. Where's my little Willie? Nice. What era of EastEnders was that? I mean, this is right back, the very first year of EastEnders. Still at the 70s then? <laughs> it was the 80s. It was acceptable then. 
Fab. No, that sounds really brilliant. I, there's lots of La- The Last Kingdom, isn't there? Do I do I need to have caught up on everything before I watch this season? Or is it something I can pick up? I'd watch it all. I think it's really good. Like I said, it's a good cast. It's a pretty well-written script. I haven't read the original books, but I was a fan of Sharp as well. Another IP of Bernard Cornwell's. So I think it's worth watching from the beginning. The first couple of series were initially on iPlayer, but everything is available on Netflix. So I have been watching i've been catching up on a lot of shows that i've been watching before i had some time off work so i've I've actually watched a fair bit and finished pam and tommy does anyone else got to the end of pam and tommy well done grace damien not yet Um, not yet but i but it's there i want to do it i want to do it but i haven't yet so well i mean this is only a very minor spoiler um but there is there is a, a moment with the celestine prophecy being used as a weapon which i thought was just fantastic. Again, maybe Grace was too young to know. Do you know what the Celestine Prophecy is? It's a, a spiritual book that was big, sort of, again, back in the 80s and 90s. So just the fact that it was it was used. Sorry, it's, it's a really small moment in the show. Totally passed me by. So if it is a spoiler, then I didn't notice it. It made, it made me laugh a lot. I think we'll, we'll probably park the, the Pam and Tommy dissection until everyone else has finished watching it. Sounds good. Nice. I somehow managed to avoid it. Whatever it was that you said. I don't know if that'll happen when I have to edit it, though. <laughs> so, yeah, anything anything coming up that you're excited about? Yes, Adam. I'm very excited about something coming on the 18th of March to Netflix, and that is season four of Top Boy. Have either of you seen Top Boy? Yeah, I saw the first, I think I saw the first two series, and then I tried it when it went on to Netflix, but I couldn't really get going on it. But I loved season one and two so much when it was on Channel 4. I thought it was brilliant. Yeah, so I think the first series was 2013. I think it's 2013, 2015. Both were on Channel 4 and Channel 4 didn't renew it for some reason. Very easy to watch. I think they're all available on Netflix. The first two series are only four episodes long, if memory serves. And I think it might be 10 episodes for series three. And then obviously this new series coming through. But they filmed that during lockdown. So it's taken quite a while for that to make it through the editing process for whatever reason. But for those who don't know, Top Boy is set on the fictional Summerhouse estate in London's Hackney. The series focuses on the lives of characters, including drug dealers Duchesne, played by Ashley Walters, and Sully, played by Kane Kano Robinson, and has featured an impressive supporting cast over the first three series, such as Four Lives, Nicholas Pinnock, Michaela Cole, Letitia Wright, David Heyman, Sway, a whole host of UK artists, including Little Sims and... There's so many, if you like UK hip hop, so many great artists have had cameos or been in a good few episodes. And we're just seeing things go on. There's a new gang that are run by Jamie, played by Michael Ward. And last series, they were up against each other. And it's only getting more fraught this series. So I am counting down the days. I might even rewatch it all. I've never seen any of it and haven't really been on my radar. So I'm, I'm, I'm intrigued and we'll definitely sort of see if I can pick it up. Something else that I didn't see the first season of was Gentleman Jack. Anyone watch that? I think, did I watch the whole series? I can't remember. I'm a big Sally Wainwright fan as a big Happy Valley fan. 
So I tend to try and watch whatever she writes. It wasn't fully gripped by Gentleman Jack, so I'm not sure I'll go back. But I know people loved it very much. Yeah, it's got people that I really admire in it. Saran Jones, Sophie Rundle from Biggie Blinders and Gemma Whelan. Anyway, season two is coming out on the 25th of April. And then earlier than that, before that, we get season two of Bridgerton, which is on the 25th of March. So there are any Bridgerton fans out there. I haven't seen Bridgerton. Should I watch Bridgerton? Um... It's definitely not my bag. You will not hear a positive recommendation from me, but it's not something I'd watch anyway, so I don't know how valid my opinion is. I couldn't get through the first episode, but I didn't really try very hard, and I haven't been that excited about going back to it. So, For some reason, that makes me really want to watch it. (laughs) (laughs) Maybe, Maybe I'll try it. There are certainly a lot of people out there who really loved it. So don't don't judge Bridgerton by uh, mine and Damien's reactions. Cool, I think that's about all we've got time for now. Does anyone want to take us out with the socials? <laughs> I'll do it then, just because we'll get it out of the way. You can find us on uh, Facebook and Twitter and Instagram and all the social media platforms, apart from the ones we're not on. If you search TV Space DNA, we're TV DNA Pod. That's the handle that you'll need. If you put TV DNA into Google, you'll find us there. Um, we'd love you to get in touch. We'd also love it if you could give us a rating and a review. It really, really helps podcasts, helps us to spread the word about the words that we're saying. So if you could do that, that would be amazing. But thank you very much, Damo. Thank you. Bye. Thank you, Grace. Thanks. Bye. And we'll see you next week. Bye. Should we just start singing, Damien, and see if he... Okay. What are we going to sing? <laughs> I don't know. <laughs> There once was a man from Maudrice who had terrible wooden teeth. He gave up the drink because it made his breath stink. (laughs) Just on you, mate. Ending on me. (laughs) I'm going to be thinking about this for the rest of the podcast. Adam, we've gone off kilter. Sorry, I could hear this this sort of stamping. What what did I miss? We'd had a very bad limerick. We're missing a final line. Yeah, the listeners can fill it in. What were we talking about? Gypsy bundles. <laughs>